Well, we have finally come to the end of this long series we're calling Elements, which is on the fruit of the Spirit. And if you haven't been here for this series, what we've been going through is a list of behaviors and character traits that you can find in the Bible in a, a, what's actually a letter from a pastor to a church in an ancient Roman city of Galatia. And he writes this letter, um, and, he, and in this letter he gives this list of, of what we call fruit, meaning that if you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, there are some attributes and character traits that should just naturally be a part of your life. And we call those the fruit of the Spirit because they're supposed to be natural, just like an uh, apple tree naturally grows apples most of the time, and lemons natural, lemon trees naturally grow lemons. So those of us who live with the Spirit should naturally have these fruit that the Spirit produces. And what we've been doing for nine long weeks now is we've, we've been trying to learn that list, in our, get it in our heads, in our hearts, so that we have it memorized without the help of words. And we've been doing pretty good. And so we started out just reading it aloud, and then we took away a few of the words and put some blanks in. And we read that, and you guys filled in the blanks really well. And so now we're going to say the fruit of the Spirit without any words on the screen, without any help. And so a lot of you are going to know that because you've been here with us. And if you don't know it because you haven't been here for much of this series, don't feel bad. We've been working on this for a while now. So if you don't know it, that's fine, and we'll put some help up in just a second. So let's, let's try it, okay? In Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's pretty good for the last week of the series. And if you need some help, here you go. This is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There we go. I just didn't change the background. That was my fault. And now today the fruit, is since it's the last one, you already know where we're going. We're talking about self-control. And man, I was hoping this day would not Come. Uh, Self-control is a miserable thing to talk about. And I don't know too many people who are qualified to talk about it. Because everybody's got that area of their life where they just stink at having self-control. Self-control, if you want to define it, it is the ability to practice restraint over your emotions, your desires, and your impulses. It means that you are in control of those things, your emotions, your desires, your impulses, rather than those things controlling how you live. Your emotions, your desires, your cravings, they don't tell you what steps to take every day. There is something in you that controls those things and says this tiny little word to yourself that so often we don't say, which is no. Because when you want something... You can really, really bend over backwards and come up with any good argument as to why you need that thing. I've heard some ridiculous arguments about why people need some stuff, and it's just like, uh, really? Maybe that logic works for you, but it's, it's just sounding pretty shady to the rest of us. Now, I have countless stories of all the ways that I lack self-control, So I figured, use what you got when you're (laughs) going to preach a sermon. So here we got a few of those. Um, I think my biggest area of self-control is with food. Now, one thing that God has blessed me with was jeans, G-E-N-E-S, that keep my waist relatively the same size regardless of what I eat. And now that's, I don't know where that comes from. My dad and mom, I guess I'll give them credit. My brother's got it too. But, and if I do gain weight, it's right in this area. 
and not here. So if I ever do gain more weight, I'm going to end up looking like a, a yellow peanut M&M. Like I'm just going to be round in the middle and there's like two little tiny toothpick legs, uh, which is, I guess, okay. I don't know. Um, but I've always had chicken legs, which is unfortunate. Uh, my dad does too. It's just a curse. Um, and so if I ever gain weight, I don't know if I will, but right now, you know, I can eat a lot of things and I stay relatively the same shape. But here's the thing about weight is that weight doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthy or unhealthy all the time um, because heart disease and diabetes don't care about your waist size. I mean, I could keep these jeans and, and I could look like I'm healthy, but my arteries might be, you know, closed up like a clog pipe in a house. So it, it doesn't always work that way. But yet, I, so you say, oh, I, I struggle with food. You say, but you look not like you do all the time. Um, well, the other day I was walking through my house, and I'll get to this one in a minute, and James, my four-year-old with his wonderful childlike honesty, says, Dad, you're getting, you got, you're getting big on the sides. <laughs> Thanks, son. You know, wonderful. Uh, and he doesn't think anything about it. He goes on to play, and I'm just like, oh, gosh, I got to stop. But my favorite thing, my, I kid you not, my favorite time of the day is when I put my kids to bed, and so the kids are asleep, and then Abby and I can go and get some kind of a snack that's got lots of sugar and chocolate in it. And then we sit down and we watch a show that has no cartoon characters in it. And it's quiet in the house, and we don't have to sit, like, scold anybody, and we can just sit and enjoy the dessert and watch a show that is of our own appropriate age level. And it is a glorious time of the day, and I want to do it every single day. And so I, I want to not give up that time, even though you're not supposed to, you know, snack after whatever, 7 p.m. or whatever it is. Um, and <laughs> last night, which, by the way, sometimes when I'm writing sermons, it's like God is just like, you know what, I'm just going to tempt you with the exact same thing that you're getting ready to preach on, just so it'll be funny. I don't know, um, but last night, we picked up Alex from the train station, he's home on spring break, and we, uh, he gets uh, in the car, and he says, man, I'm starving, I didn't get any food before I left, and it's like 8.30 or 8.40, and so I said, well, we got a Chick-fil-A now, and he's like, oh yeah, let's go buy Chick-fil-A, and so I take him to Chick-fil-A, and we go inside, because the drive through line was ridiculous, and I had, I had already eaten dinner, and I had no desire to get any food until I smelled it. And it was like, mmm, it smells so good. And so I get through the line, and he orders his food, and I'm fighting it all the way up until he had ordered his food. And she says, is there anything else you'd like today? And I was like, and a kid's meal <laughs> with nuggets and a Dr. Pepper. And here's the dumb thing. In getting a kid's meal... To, that was me convincing myself that I was practicing self-control because I didn't get a full-size adult meal. I just got a wee tiny kid's meal. And I'm like, what an idiot. Like, why? And I'm like, man, here I am. I know in like 12 hours I got to go preach on self-control. And I'm, I just I have none. I have none at all. And so that's just the way it is with a lot of things. And I think everybody has that area of their life where you wish you had more self-control. You want to be able to, you know, direct your emotions and direct your cravings, but there's that one area that it seems to hijack you and take you in, in, in a way that it wants to go, where it seems like at times your stomach is the ruler of your life and your cravings are the ruler of your life. Uh, for a lot of people, it might, you might be like me, and it's food. And you know you need to eat either healthier food or at least less junk food. But you can't even eat less junk food, let alone move over to healthy food. You know, I could have ordered grilled chicken nuggets. No, that's not what I did. I ordered the regular good old wonderful fried chicken nuggets. So, you know, we can't. It's hard sometimes. So maybe food's your thing. Uh, for some people, uh, they would you would like to have self-control over how you spend your money. 
And you know that there's benefits to saving. You know that you don't need all the things that you probably buy. And you had all the intention in the world of saving for retirement back when you were 25 and 30. And now you're getting a little panicky because you've lived those last 20 years giving into the cravings. Or maybe you know that money's tight this month and you don't need to go shopping. And then there's those shoes you wanted or those clothes you wanted or that gadget came out that was brand new and you found some way to justify needing it. I mean, don't we? Oh, you know, my phone's got a little nick. I need a new phone. Oh, well. You know, we can come up with these ridiculous reasons why we need to give in to those cravings. So maybe that's your thing. Maybe you lack self-control when it comes to the words you speak. Um, You know, I know a lot of people, we talked about this last week in gentleness. I know people who will just say, I speak truth, and if people can't handle it, that's their problem. And basically what they mean is, I'm going to steamroll you with truthful insults, and then I'm going to walk away and go on my merry way after I've demolished you as a person. And, you know, the thing is about that is that that's not helpful. The truth is always right and good, but there are certain moments where delivering that truth and the way you deliver that truth doesn't mean it's helpful. Um, like my kid saying, Dad, you're getting a little big on the sides. That's not wonderful, okay? Um, and I remember when I was a kid, my mom took me to the gas station, and there was a guy who lived down the road, and he just stopped in to fill up his truck, and he was a pig farmer, okay? You know, he, he gets up at the crack of dawn, and he gets out in the mud with the pigs, feeding them and taking care of them and stuff, and he walks in, and I just go, Boy, mister, you sure are dirty. And my mom's like, I'm so sorry, get over here, you know, and drags me away. Because kids will go up, and they have no restraint. Their their ability to talk has grown before their ability to filter. And so they will just say something, leaving their horrified parents to come in and try to clean up the mess. But yet, it's okay when children do it, and we kind of excuse it when children do it. But there's some adults that do it too. And sometimes we have no filter on the words and what we say. We just say things regardless of how hurtful they are. Or maybe the way you need self-control with your mouth is you need to stop lying. Or you need to stop gossiping. But there's those moments where a lie just seems way better than suffering the consequences of the truth. And where gossip just makes you feel powerful because you know something true or not that somebody else would be very interested to hear. And so there's all these places where we wish we had self-control, and all of those are kind of acceptable, you know. None of those, you can get away with all of those and nobody really bats an eye at it. And then there's things that we try to hide, that we try to deny. You know, there's some people that struggle with alcoholism. They don't want to admit it, they want to deny it. I don't have a problem, I got it under control. But they're controlled by it. There's people who are stuck in the habit of uh, their sexual urges, they're stuck with pornography. I mean, the, the stats on who looks at pornography and, and what percentage of Americans look at pornography on a regular basis, it's shocking. But you know how much we talk about it? None. And so there's people that are stuck with these urges that are conquered by their urges and they have no avenue to break free because there's just nowhere to talk about it and get help. It's just such a shameful thing in certain areas of the world. And so we have this idea that Self-control only applies to food and things and these acceptable, but there's darker things where it applies as well. And there's so many people, so many people who lack it. And I'm one, and my guess is that just about everybody in this room has some area where you wish I was better at self-control over this. I wish I had more control over my urges rather than my urges having control over me. 
And so, you know, there's so many places you could go in the Bible talking about self-control. The Bible has a ton to say about how to handle money wisely. You read the book of Proverbs enough, you'll get like a, an MA in finances, okay? Or a master's in finances. I don't know if it's MA or not. But anyway, um, there, the, the Bible says plenty about gluttony. I have never in my life heard a sermon on gluttony, especially around Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? We don't want to talk about it, like, but, but, I mean, really, it's, it's a problem, I think, that, that most of us don't want to talk about it. And I don't talk about it because you heard why I don't talk about gluttony. I go to Chick-fil-A randomly in the middle of the night, so what do I know? Um, there's, uh, the Bible has plenty to say about taming your mouth and make, keeping your words in check and saying things that are only helpful. The Bible has a ton to say on the dangers of sexual sin. And the Bible has a ton to say on the foolishness of getting drunk. And so we could go all these different avenues. But I want to start in a much simpler place. I just want to ask the simple question... Why even have self-control? What's the point of having self-control? Why not just do what feels good? Why not just give in to the urges? I mean, if we have urges, that must be for a reason, right? You know when your stomach starts growling? That just tells you, hey, you're hungry. You need some food. So maybe all of our urges are just kind of in that category. Maybe whatever urge you feel is just saying, hey, this is an itch that needs to be scratched, so go for it. Why not give in? Why not do whatever's on our mind? Why not do what makes us happy? Why not just have sex with whoever we kind of want to in the moment? Why not do those things? By the way, it's really funny because you kind of start looking down and looking at the Bible or something or you know, counting how many holes in your shoes. But anytime I say the word sex, everybody's like, what? <laughs> so... Maybe I'll just start saying it randomly just to get your attention, maybe. Uh, believe it or not, though, I think we as believers have great reasons to have self-control. We have great reasons why we need to practice it on a daily basis and why we need to be working every single day to gain control of our desires and urges rather than letting them control us. And like I said, I could go so many different places, but the place we're going to go today is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, actually the last paragraph in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, feel free. Um, the verses will be on the screen behind us, or if you want to use your phone and have a Bible app on there, that is uh, great as well. Now in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, what Paul has been talking about through this whole thing is he's talking about the hard work that he tries to put in to share the gospel with people. So the people who are stuck in all different areas of life, who have, who have come from all different walks of life and have all kinds of different sins and problems, he tries to go out and share the gospel with people so that as many people as possible might come to know Christ and be saved and redeemed from their old way of life and onto a better way of life in Christ. And so he just finished talking about that, and then he kind of goes in and says, okay, that's what we talk about, that's what I try to do for those people. Now let's talk about me a little bit. And Paul talks about his own spiritual walk and how he handles that just a little bit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start in verse 24. Oh, oh, nope. I, I cut that out a little bit ago. Hold on. Skip it. There it is. He says, do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? And basically what he's trying to make us think about there is that in the spiritual race of life, not everybody goes to heaven. And that's a tough truth, but it makes sense for where he wants to take us. He says, run in such a way to get the prize. And he's using this, this imagery of running. In a minute, he's going to talk about boxing a little bit to kind of get us to think of life as a race. And the moment when we die, we want to finish the race. And what that means is we have finished the race by holding on to the faith that we have in Christ. Meaning that if you're a believer, 
There are plenty of things in this world that are going to try to steal you away and distract you away from pursuing Jesus on a regular, daily basis. And we want to finish the race so that we, at the end of our lives, are still holding on to the prize of salvation. He goes on, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And this was really applicable to the people he was talking to because this is in uh, Corinth, Greece, which is a real place. It's just ruins now, but this is a real city in a real time in a real place with real people. And at this point in time, uh, Corinth was the host of, uh, I think, probably the second biggest games athletic games in the world behind the Olympics, which was still going on then as well. And so uh, he was talking to these people saying, you guys have the, the games every year, okay? This is a big deal. Everyone who competes in them, they go into strict training for the games, and they do it to get a crown that will not last. They would, uh, you know, you've seen pictures of Caesar, uh, at least nothing, maybe you got Paul Newman on a, on a salad dressing bottle wearing the crown of leaves, you know, the laurel leaves, which, um, laurel leaves, you ever cooked with a bay leaf? That's basically a laurel leaf, okay? That's what they would use. And they had to make a crown out of them. And the winners of the race would get these crowns made out of these bay leaves. And that would be the sign that I just accomplished something that nobody else around me accomplished. I was the one who won the race, and I got this nice little crown. He says, they do, they do all that training, all that hard work, all the dieting, all the running to get a crown that will not last. Because as soon as you, you know, cut a plant off the vine, off the tree, off the bush, whatever, that, that piece you cut off is on its way to dying. He says, but we do it. We run this life, this race of faith to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, my own body, so that I make it slave so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize. And so the big thing, Paul, you'll notice what he wants us to start thinking about here is things that are temporary versus things that are eternal. And he says, you got athletes. And I, some of you, you, you did the high school athletics. I did high school sports. Some of you were fresh out of high school. Some of you are in high school and you're doing the sports. Um, I know Mark, your dad, was talking about how you wrestle and how you just gave it your all this year, man, and you were trying to make weight a couple times. I had some friends who were wrestlers, and wrestlers be crazy. I don't know if you know that. Wrestlers are crazy um, because it's like, oh, I'm a pound over. Guess I'm not eating for a while. You know, like, oh, okay, that's great. Good idea. Um, and so I wish I, I didn't. I could never be a wrestler. <laughs> um, and so... And so, you know, they're, they're doing all this really hard, crazy stuff so they can win a crown of leaves that's going to die. Or to think of modern-day Olympics. They'll get a gold medal, or they'll get glory, and they'll be on the Wheaties box, and everyone will be like, oh, you're so awesome, and we'll care about, you know, Michael Phelps for a day and a half, or that other guy who was a big swimmer for a day and a half. I don't even remember his name the last Olympics time around, okay? And we get all excited about it, and he's like, you do, they do all that stuff for what? Something that lasts for this long. I mean, um, proof of that. How many of you can name who won the 100-meter run at the 92 Olympics? Yeah. Anybody even remember where the 92 Olympics were held? Anybody? Anybody? How about the 96 Olympics? Anybody remember? Atlanta. Okay, yeah, we got a person. Anybody remember who won the 100 meters there? Nope. Michael Johnson, I think, is who it was then. I remember he was a big deal when I was in uh, seventh grade, you know, then, so he's a big deal. Okay, but we don't remember that anymore because the glory lasts for a second. I, I went on earlier, and I was researching Olympic gold medals. You know what? A lot of athletes end up selling them. 
And then a lot of athletes end up looking into selling them and don't because they bring so little. A bronze medal from any Olympics, from a modern athlete, might get like 5,000 bucks, which is a good piece for a little you know, piece of jewelry. But when they think of all the hard work they put into it, they're like, I can only get 5,000 bucks for that. That ain't worth it. I mean, a lot of them think they're going to get hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, that stuff, it's so temporary and so worthless in the long term. Just like Larry was saying earlier, what's all that stuff going to get us? We got piles of stuff in our house. What's it going to get us? We're not taking any of it with us. And so Paul wants us to think of what are we working for? Are we working toward things that are temporary or things that are eternal? And so he turns the direction to his faith. He says, I want to fight for something that lasts. Um, Probably one of the few places in my life where I've ever shown self-control was actually in the area of sports. I, I'm not a natural athlete, which I'm sure you could probably tell. I've already referenced my chicken legs earlier, um, but um, I'm not coordinated at all. Um, I've had, I don't know how many times Ben has said, hey, you just want to go play basketball? No. Like, no. Why would I do something that just makes me feel bad about myself all the time? And so, no thank you. And so, um, <laughs> I was one of three people cut from my high school basketball team. And, the re- and they didn't, it's not like we had so many people. It was just the coach was like, I don't, I can't play these guys. Like, so we're just going to cut them and then I don't have to. And so I got cut from my high school basketball team. Um, so then I decided to run track and cross country because doing this is a lot easier than, you know, guarding somebody and all. It's just, it takes less coordination to run. And uh, I just decided I'm going to try making up for my lack of athleticism with some hard work. And so for track, I ran the hurdles, which is also dumb by the way. Um, I mean, running is hard enough. Why put things in the way, right? I mean, <laughs> running's so unpleasant. Why would you ever want to just like, let's make this harder and make things you have to jump over? And so it was hard, and so I would run and run the hurdles, and, and so I would stay after practice an hour every day to practice my form because I wasn't really fast, so I thought if I'm going to beat somebody, i got to beat them over the hurdles, and so I just would practice every day, and then I started doing cross-country and cross country is also dumb and very hard because it's like, I got winded on that 110 meters of hurdles, so let's, why not run three miles and see how that works out for me? And that was great. And on my senior year of cross country, I had a friend on my train. His name was Justin. And Justin and I had ran about the same. We just, it was kind of a toss up as to who would beat the other person on any given day. We just kind of went back and forth. And at the halfway point of the season, our coach gave us all note cards with our best time so far. And then the time he wanted us to reach by the end of the year. And so he hands us our cards, and I'm standing next to Justin looking at my time. And we had run the same time so far in the year. And I looked at Justin's goal time, and his was 30 seconds faster than mine. And I got really offended by that. Because I was like, so we've been the same all year, all year. And now, you think he's going to be faster than me. Come on, what's that? that hurts, coach. Like, and I was like, this, th- I can do that. And he said, okay, do it. And he scratched out the time on my card and wrote in the same as Justin's. And so the rest of the year, I was operating on spite, which spite is a powerful, powerful force. And so I ran extra hard in practice. I mean, you know those days when you think you're just going to throw up trying to get back to the school? And I mean, I ran so hard. And I remember the one race where I ran my best time of the year. And by the way, I blew him out of the water that race because he just, I don't know what happened to him that day, but I'm running. And there's that moment when you're in like the last half mile and you got nothing left. And my legs are burning so bad and my back is hurting and you got the side stitched and everything in your brain is saying, stop running. Just walk for a minute. It'll be okay. 
okay. You won't lose that bad. You're doing okay. Just walk for a minute. And, but, but it was like, no, I have to keep going. And, and because I kept going, one foot in front of the other, I ran like the best time of the whole year. And I did all of that stuff, and I stayed extra for hours of, at practice. I went spent time in the weight room, and I did that for what? So I could remember now how good I used to be. The other day, we were here working on some of the, the cro- hanging the cross up, and I ran home to get some electrical tape, and I ran, my, I live right there. I can see my house. I ran there, and I ran back, and I got in the door. I'm like, whoo, that is farther than it looks. <laughs> like, what? What is the point? I mean, not that it was fun and it was awesome, but the point Paul is trying to make is, why do we put so much diligence and effort and daily self-control into the things that ultimately fritter away with time and don't last over the long haul. When it comes to our faith, we are hoping to attain something that is eternal. We are hoping to escape the pain of this world and the suffering of this world and the the consequences of our sin that Christ has generously given to us. We hope to one day go to heaven forever, to be reunited with all of our lost brothers and sisters who have gone before us. We have this amazing thing on the horizon of life, and yet we spend so much more self-control and diligence over the things that are temporary than over the things that are eternal. Because the cravings of life, they are almost always going to be in the direction of the temporary things. Your stomach's going to want food, and you're going to be hungry six hours later, if you make it that long. You know, you want to buy a gadget, And in six months, someone's going to come out with a new one, and it's going to make yours feel old and clunky and slow. Someone's going to get a newer car. Your new car's going to get a scratch. I mean, everything doesn't last. So why, as believers, for those of you that are believers, why do we spend so much time on that stuff? And on the daily, daily, we really don't spend that much time on, on, on faith. I mean, just knowing Christians and knowing myself there's other things I do way more diligently. I, I, when I practiced in high school for sports, I was way more diligent about that than even how I read my Bible today. Uh, we've been doing this uh, New Testament in 90 days. Some of you have been doing it. Um, there was one person, Laura Smith, who was on track every single day, and it makes me feel bad because I'm a week behind. <laughs> right? And, and it's like, I'm, I'm supposed to be the pastor. I should, I should probably read it a little more than I, you know, I should be a little, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to finish on time, hopefully. But it's like, but even that, like, why do I spend so much time on other stuff? And I'm, I lack on the things that maybe count, the ways that will grow me spiritually and help me get the prize that does not fade, the crown that lasts forever, the crown of salvation that Christ died to bring me. And so I guess my challenge to you in terms of self-control is I just want you to go home and think about your life and think about all the things that are temporary and think about this amazing eternal prize that Christ died on the cross to give you. And why are we so enwrapped in the temporary? Why are we so engaged in things that really, when you die, no one's going to care about it? My brother still tells me that he's on the record board for track and field at Fairfield Community High School and that I never got on there. Did any of you know that my brother was on there? No. You know how many people he works with know that? Zero. You know how many people that are actually students at Fairfield Community High School care? None of them. I hope he listens to this. Um, (laughs) Right? Right? But it's a record. He's so proud of that. And ultimately, it's not going to last forever. And so when it comes to the daily things that, that we can actually do, like praying to God, depending on him, 
to, to lead us through the difficult moments, praying for the people in our church together, coming together with believers on a regular basis to study the word, maybe going home and just reading a little bit of the Bible every day. Those are diligent, self-controlled things, the ways that we can practice the scriptures and do what they tell us to do by saying no to ourselves, saying, no, I'm not gonna give in to that urge because it's not helpful, it's not beneficial, it's not gonna get me anywhere that's eternal, it's just gonna get me temporary fun and then it's gonna fade away pretty quickly. We need to think about the things that we are daily investing in that actually make a difference in the eternal. And in uh, 2 Timothy, uh, there's a place where Paul goes back to this running and boxing idea, and he tells Timothy, when I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to say, I have ran the race, and I've fought the fight, and I've kept the faith. And I want to be able to say that too. And I'm guessing a lot of you wish you, or hope that you get to say that too when your time comes. That you can be like confident, stand up and say, I fought the fight, and I won this race, and now I go to be in heaven and I get to celebrate forever and ever with Christ. If that's what you want, are you really investing in the things that will get you there? Or are you distracting yourself away from faith with all these other little things? Because it is possible to distract yourself consistently and consistently to where Christ isn't even on your radar anymore. All of us probably know people who used to sit in these pews with us and aren't here anymore. And some of them, yeah, they've moved on to other churches, which is great and wonderful, and I'm glad they're still following Christ. But a lot of people, when they walk away from church, in many ways, they walk away from God. And a lot of people, you talk to them about why they left, they weren't mad. There wasn't some big blowout they had where they stormed out the church doors and said, never again, I hate God, I'm never looking at him again. A lot of times it was just, I had something else to do one day, and then the next day, and then the next day. And they just slowly, over time, invested in things other than God until their attention was not on him even a little bit. So self-control matters, especially in this long-term race of am I investing in the temporary, am I only going to get the temporary, or am I really reaching and working toward the eternal? And I hope that you, and I hope for my sake that I can daily be men and women who invest in the things that matter. So as you leave here today, don't just go, by the way, if you go eat lunch after church, don't feel bad about it, I'm so sorry, okay? Don't feel like you have to order the grilled chicken just because I said a lot about that. I'm sorry, okay? But I would, I, I really think for your benefit and for our benefit as a church, it is good for you to think about those decisions, the little everyday decisions, and to think, what am I really investing in? Because you reap the rewards of what you invest in. And I want to not just pile up, pile up things that are going to corrode and fall away and be forgotten. I want to build up my life so that one day I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I receive the crown of glory that Christ died to bring me.